Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Another edition of the Stampede Wrestling Show. Welcome, everybody, to Hobby Radio with Bruce Hart. This is guest host today, Attack uh, Avin, host of Under the Mat Radio from Pro Wrestling Powerhouse. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening on this Sunday night. I'm here live with the great Bruce Hart of the Legendary Hart family, and we're bringing you a very great show today. Bruce, how you feeling today? I'm doing great. Uh, nice to uh, have you aboard, Evan. I uh, got some uh, excellent guests tonight. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to uh, Nikita Bresnikov. I've heard nothing but great things about him. He's uh, he's going to be telling us about a, a number of things. And, uh, I'm also looking forward to having our old friend Evan Ginsberg on. So. It should be uh, very fascinating. I'll let you uh, introduce Nikita first, though, uh, Evan. Yes, everybody, this is uh, Live with Harvey Radio, host of Under the Mat Radio. This is Evan here, guest hosting today. Right now, we're going to bring in first live Nikita Brishnoff. Welcome to Heartbeats Radio. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You know, first I thought I was calling the Soviet Embassy in Canada, trying to get a message across from Premier Putin. But I got you guys. <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. and I believe, and I believe Bruce Hart, uh, also believe we have a live too. Not only Nikita, but we also have live host of Legends Radio in New York City and producer of the great movie The Wrestler Star Mickey Rourke. Uh, Evan, never Evan, Evan Ginsburg, you here live on Heartbeat Radio. How are you, Evan? How are you? <laughs> Doing good. Doing good. So we have Evan Ginsburg here. We have. Uh, Nikita Brusinoff here live. We have Bruce Hart here live. And um, go ahead, guys. I'm looking forward to Evan uh, Ginsburg. I'd like if you'd give me a little bit of uh, introductory and our and our listeners some backgrounds on uh, Nikita. I've, I'm fascinated with his background. Maybe you could just kind of introduce. Want, you want me to introduce him? Sure, sure. Yeah, thank um, you. Nikita Bresnikov was a 27-year officer uh, with the Baltimore Police Department, and he moved to professional wrestling where he managed Nikolai Volkov on the indie circuit for uh, a good dozen or so years, I would say. I'm sure Nikita could uh, give us some details. And uh, now he's moved into acting, and the film Brush with Danger has recently opened not only in New York, but Seattle. And uh, interesting guy, policeman. Uh, he's, he was in the wrestling world. He's moved into acting. He's done modeling, nude modeling, in fact. And uh, I don't 
Evan buys all my pictures, too. That's right. That's right. So, uh, very eclectic, eclectic gentleman, Nikita Bresnikov. Well, it sounds like a fascinating uh, background. You know, I, uh, how did you, Nikita, ever hook up with my old friend uh, Nikolai Volkov, uh, who I used to know as Joe Perusevich? Uh, way back, he uh, started up here with my dad back in the... Uh, Probably in the late 1960s, he was a big, uh, I don't know whether he was Croatian or Bosnian yes. or Serbian. Cor- uh, you were correct, those. Bruce. And then he, uh, Correlation, yes. He hooked up with a guy up here that Evan, I think, probably knows of, a guy named uh, Newton Tatry. And right. uh, they uh, later on morphed into this uh, Mongol thing, Bipo and Gito Mongol or some such thing, and I think uh, Bill Eady, later on known as Super, or Masked Superstar, and then he was also part of that demolition in the WWE, became one of the Mongols as well, but uh, yeah, Nikolai was up here with my dad for uh, quite a while, he sort of got his feet wet up here, and then uh, how did you ever hook up with him down in, uh, was, was it... Uh, it was Baltimore. And yeah, was that before time, or after his uh, stint with Vince? Or? Oh, it was in the middle. It was around, I would say, 93. Or, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, probably close to 93, 1993. And I was still working in the patrol division. And, of course, as you do your advertisement with your big posters in the windows of the stores, I happen to look and I see... Hey, Nikolai Volkov, he's coming to one of the local arenas. It was for a benefit show. And me, at the time, I certainly was a fan of the old school with WWWF. So I I wasn't really following things too much at that time. But it was like, hey, I'd really like to see Nikolai and talk to him. So it happened to be a daytime show. I'm working. So I decided to stop over. So I go into the building, you know, I'm in uniform and... As soon as I see Nikolai, he comes walking by and he sees my stripes. He says, hello there, Sergeant. I say, hey, Nikolai, how are you? And he came out to sell his pictures before the show. And we began talking and bang, we hit it off. So from there, the friendship just, you know, it started to grow. And then I said, Nikolai, I want to be a wrestler. I love it. I always wanted to do it. And he said, you know, we all get hurt in the wrestling why don't you uh, maybe be my manager instead? You'll know lots about the business. I said, I don't want to be stupid manager. I want to get in the ring. He's like, no, no, no. You have a good job. Be manager. So, you know, we talked it over, and the more I thought about it, the more he was right. And the first time we worked was for Dennis Corluzzo in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, I, I, I remember just, Dennis, yeah. No, no warning, no nothing. I just walked in. I was wearing a trench coat. Nikolai said, just get some European hat, put something red on it. That's what I did. And then over the years, I developed a costume, of course, the Soviet general. But when Dennis saw me the first time, he's like, you've got a presence. There's something about you. I said, well, Dennis, I'm a policeman. He's like, that's what it is. That's what gives you that authority. I said, yeah, it's not too hard for me. Look at the crowd. Give them the, the look that gives them the diarrhea, you know? So it's like, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of funny. Uh, uh, Cosro Iron Sheik was up here shortly after uh, my dad had kind of broken in Nikolai, and uh, 
he later on went on to uh, notoriety in the WWE, and he and uh, Nikolai were partners. But it was kind of funny because both of them, from what I understood, were uh, sort of escaping. Uh, I remember Nikolai back in the day was uh, sort of escaped from all the oppression with uh, uh, yes. whoever was the uh, dictators over in the Soviet Union at that time and some of the uh, oppressive... Uh, regimes in Yugoslavia and then Khosrow was at one time I was told the bodyguard for the uh, the Shah of Iran well, the Shah. and they yes. overthrew that regime and they had the Ayatollah but it was kind of funny how later on you know they were both you know kind of you know uh, opposed to both of those people and later on they kind of made their uh, names making out to be kind of uh Villainous uh, associates of the commies and the Ayatollah and all that stuff. So yes, and I, kind I of remember a funny irony. Me, the sheik told me when his mother had passed away, he was in tears. He said, uh, "I cannot go back home because they kill me." He said, yeah, "I'm lucky they don't come here to kill me." I'm like, "Yes, sheik, I, I sympathize with you. I mean, I believe you what you say. I've seen the pictures." And it's legitimate. You know, you was Ayatollah's bodyguard. So, yeah, I think if you went home, they they probably would be waiting for you. So, best you stay here. And it's a tough way to go when your mom passes away and you can't be there. But he knew it better. And, yeah, with Nikolai, you know, he didn't want to do that. Because when he had his first run, like, he, with the Mongols, you know, it was just impressive. He was before Andre the Giant on the East Coast. So, he was about 6'5", 3 345. And yeah, he was big, a big chest, big, yeah, and a big, uh, you know, sweet, big, uh, gentle, big giant. You know, he wasn't the least bit uh, angry yeah. or sinister or anything like that. No, but, uh, no, but they did the gimmick with the hair because he said that was such a pain in the neck to, you know, have to tuck that away when they would not be working. But it got over perfect. And, you know, I'll tell you a quick funny story about the furs. The furs were his. He brought them with him. And one night, Nikolai said it was he and Guido and Baron Cicluna, and they were up north someplace, I think Buffalo maybe. And it was a bad snowstorm, and they had no place to stay. All the hotels were filled after the show. So Nikolai said, no problem. You guys, uh, one sleep front, one sleep back. And I sleep in the trunk. And they said, the trunk? He's like, yeah, yeah, I have the first. i used to this from back home. So he gets in the trunk. He's asleep. So the next morning, policeman comes pulling up. He taps on the window. So Guido rolls down. And he's like, yes, sir. He's like, you guys okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, we had no place to stay. He said, well, I was just checking. He said, well, you might want to check on the guy in the trunk. And he's like, the guy in the trunk? And Nikolai opens the trunk like a coffin, like Dracula. He's like, hey, good morning, officer. So it's like that's him, you know. That's our Nikolai. <laughs> yeah, those are fascinating uh, stories. Um, I was going to ask you too. Uh, I'm told uh, Nikita, you're just completing a movie, uh, Brush with Danger, uh, with some kind of a martial arts theme, and uh, maybe you could give oh, us yes. a little bit of introduction or tell us what that's about when it's coming out and uh, anything else that's noteworthy about it. Yes, I certainly will. Now, this is kind of like the same wrestling situation, only with the martial arts. I met this girl, Livia Zhang, 
and she is the producer, director, and she and her brother are the co-stars of the movie because the movie centers around two kids, when I say kids, they're teenagers, coming from Indonesia. They escape in a container ship, and they enter the port of Seattle along with other immigrants. She is a famous, well, not famous, but a very good painter, and he is a martial arts expert, and this is legitimate. Ken is the youngest kickboxing champion in Indonesian history, and he's still competing to this day because he has a meet next month in October. So the story goes along. They go to a square, a market square, and, you know, they're trying to get money and try to survive. And she lays out her paintings because everybody's selling their wares. And this bad guy, Justice Sullivan, comes walking up. He sees the painting, and he's like, wow, that's very good. So right away... He takes them under his wing because what he gets Livia's character to do is paint forgeries for him, unbeknownst to her. And then he gets Ken involved in the underground fighting. And then along comes this detective, Nick Thompson, played by yours truly. And I smell a rat because there's somebody else that ends up dead on the beach, an Asian girl. And she, the clues all lead to she was a painter and all roads lead to this dirty guy. So I try to save the kids, and that's where I'll leave it because I don't want to give away too much because, believe me, it's action-packed. It, it's such a great movie in that it's exciting. The music was composed by Gary Scheiman, who did Magnum P.I., The A-Team. He's done lots of video games and other big movies. David Boucher does the fight choreography. He is in the Hollywood Stuntman's Hall of Fame. And Dave, I'll tell you, uh, he started the United Stuntmen's Association of America. So all the guys that you see in Hollywood probably were trained by Dave at some point or another. And when you watch the trailer, you see a guy flying over a railing. This is inside the mansion we shot in in Hollywood. We shot the partial in Seattle, partial in Hollywood. That is not editing. That guy came flying over the rail under Dave's supervision. And let me tell you something. It's about two stories. You know, we were down below looking up, saying, oh, come on, chicken, what are you waiting for? You go upstairs and you look down. I was like, man, you could put a million dollars on that, Matt. I'm not going to take that dive. That was incredible. <laughs> so it, the, the stuntmen, they make the movie as well. In every movie. I don't think they get enough credit because those guys work hard. But listen, this Livia, she is a hard worker. She was 23 when she did this movie, when she made Brush With Danger, and she was her first year at USA Film School, which is now in her third year. She just completed another movie this past summer with Tony Todd, John Savage, Madeline Zima. So, guys, she's on her way. I'm telling you, she is just motivated. Her energy is contagious because she takes an old-timer like me. You know, you get up in the morning, it's like, man, you got to get all the old bones moving and all the parts going. But, man, she gets behind you, and it's like an injection. Boom, you're off running to the race. Well, did our old uh, colleague Gene LaBelle, uh, did you ever uh, cross paths with him, or was he involved in any of your uh, films or any of that kind of thing? No, but I'm going to tell you a wild coincidence. When I had Dave Boucher on Evan's show, because Evan let me host a couple of weeks in a row to promote the movie, Gene LaBelle was on that show, right, Evan? That's right. Judo Gene. It was so- because all of uh, Dave's stunt guys, they promoted Evan's show, and they were like, and Gene LaBelle's on there too, the judo master. And it's like, 
What a wild coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, that is. He he uh he's got a bit of a fascinating wrestling uh background. Evan can maybe uh tell us a little bit about that, but he he originally was in uh I think it was half I'm not sure if it was his half brother or step brother, Mike LaBelle was you know, in the promotion with uh Eileen Eaton and all that bunch in Los Angeles back in the uh Maybe the '60s or some such thing. And '60s and '70s. I used to see Gene LaBelle in New York on the LA TV, and um, yeah, he was wrestling pretty regularly. And if you watch a lot of the action films of that era, um, like Black Belt Jones, which they filmed in um, LA with Jim Kelly, you know, you see Gene LaBelle. He's he's a heel in many many action films, and he's in a lot of great fight sequences. Interesting yeah, guy. He, he worked with Bruce Lee. I mean, it went. Yeah, I heard he was one of the uh, first people to bring Bruce Lee into the uh, and Chuck Norris as well, from what I'm told. And he was. Uh, I, I think he did a couple of movies. He told me with Rod Steiger and uh, a couple of others. But yeah, do you, do you ever see uh, Gene, Gene these anymore these days, Evan? Or? No, no, I'm out of New York. He's 3,000 miles away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then Professor Tanaka took over. He picked up the gauntlet in the 80s and started to make the action movies with Chuck Norris. Yeah, I remember Toro was kind of uh, playing a a villain. And I'm not sure. There was another old Japanese guy that my dad had in here way back when named Harold Sakata, who played, I think he wrestled under the name of Tosh Togo, but he was. Uh, Odd job in the, some of the early James Bond with Sean Connery uh, back maybe in the 60s. I, I'm told. Yeah, and you guys remember Peter Maivia made an appearance in a James Bond movie too, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some with kind of... Bar crushing, uh, yeah. He took the guy there. That's it. The great Samoan yeah. chief. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear some of those, uh, those perspectives. Tell me, Nikita, are you... Uh, uh, retired as a policeman now, or are you uh, still involved in that realm a bit? Or? No, Bruce, I retired about eight years ago, and that's when the wife brought me out to Seattle, and it was the best thing that we ever did because that's where I met Livia. But I did my policing in Baltimore. I retired as a detective sergeant. And, you know, kind of for me, the best way to relate my style of policing and this is what I bring across in the movie and what Livy gave me room to run with. It was old school policing, just like old school wrestling. And I respect yeah. everybody that climbs through the ropes and I respect everybody that puts on a badge, men and women included. But it was different in my time, just like with wrestling. You know, it was different in the time of the guys like you and your brother and Nikolai and people like that. But today's police, it's like they don't have time. We were community police because we talked to everyone. On a daily basis, you would go into each business. And, I mean, we had I mean, Baltimore City was a big area, so you had a lot of area to cover, but you were personal with the people. And when the bad guy showed his head, you put the foot where it belonged, and you kept things under control. But the good people, and I'm talking about anybody, any race, anything, it didn't matter, they were treated with respect, and they loved us. They were happy. Please, come in the neighborhood, get rid of these dirt balls, get rid of the drug dealers. And I'll tell you what, one of the greatest Hall of Fame speeches ever made 
for WWE was by Ernie Ladd when he was inducting Bobo Brazil. And Ernie Ladd, oh, yeah. he said it the best. He said, you know, you get these kids today, they're worshiping these idols, these sports, these, instead of the sports figure, they're out there waiting for the dope man on the corner. And he said, you know, you got to get that family unit back together. See, people like that, good old school people that came up and said, hey, neighbors, everybody looked out for each other. You know, it kind of was like after 9-11. Back oh, in, yeah, yeah. Especially, well, New York and Baltimore, that was our backyard. You know, hey, the terrorists hit us where we lived. And people were nice to each other because we were so scared. You know, if you bumped into somebody on the street, you didn't want to punch, you know, they would take a swing at you or cuss at you. They were like, oh, excuse me, everything's okay. But now it's like reverted back to just uh, everybody's mean again and crappy to each other. And it's like, come on, we're all in this together. It's like this ISIS threat. If they come, they're coming for all of us. They don't care who or what you are. If you like wrestling, if you're what relation or sex or whatever, they're going to come for all of us, man. So we got to be together. Yeah, I, I I would think that's probably near and dear to uh, especially the East Coast. With you know, you get that a marathon Boston Marathon bombing, and you got the nine eleven and the uh, some of that stuff. You know, pretty uh, near and dear to. Uh, I imagine you were. Uh, on the force when all that nine eleven. Yeah, I was still uh, at mayhem was. Yeah, yes, and I'll tell you a, a quick story. What really was strange about it the day it happened. This was before cell phones were really popular, and a lot of people still had pagers. It was just a strange coincidence that NYPD was visiting, and I mean, like maybe thirty or forty people, detectives, officers for some kind of training, and it was like all of a sudden everybody's pagers and, and whoever had a cell phone were going off, and it's like, what's going on? Of course, you don't have a television in these places. And then, of all people, my mother calls me, and she's like, did you hear what happened? I'm like, no, what happened? And she says that plane hit one of the, the Tower 1, and I'm like, a plane? And it's like, oh, my. And then uh, that's when everybody cut to the TV and seen the second plane. And then when you heard the Pentagon, I said, oh, my, what are we up against? I was scared, I'll be honest with you, because where I lived in Maryland, I was between Camp David and the NSA, and, you know, they shut down all the flights, but those planes were going daily. Our our Air Force guys, they were up there protecting the skies, but, man, that was a scary time. That was yeah, that uh, wasn't something I never want to see again. Yeah, Baltimore's uh, right close to Washington, I understand, so it must have been where, you know, with 30, all that other, it must have been chaotic yep. and, uh, you know, kind of all hell breaking loose for, for a bit there by the sound of it, you know. But, yes. But Bruce, I'll tell you, I love being a policeman. I never thought I would retire. You know, it was like we would get to work early, like an hour early to get to, we loved it. It was like a fraternity. And again, I say it, we went out to take care of people, not to harass them and give them tickets because I knew what it was like. My father got a ticket one day, and we were blue-collar family, and they put a hurting on things, you know. It's like, now where am I going to get the money for this ticket, you know? And it's like, today we got red light cameras, speed cameras, seat, they tag you for a seatbelt, tag you for talking on the phone. It's like, what the hell is the difference if I'm talking to the guy next to me or if I'm holding something in my hand? But it's revenue, you know. 
Yeah, that's what seems to be the case. And unfortunately, it seems to me, too, if and when there is some transgression by the police, like that thing in St. Louis with the black guy, you know, and um, they tend to almost kind of, you know, jump on and uh, completely uh, disregard any any and all the good that the police are doing and kind of, you know. Yeah, Bruce, you're right. Them. You know, it's all out the window. It's like, you know, if we're not out there, you don't get to work today. You don't get home from school because that thin blue line separates anarchy from peace. And, yeah, I retired out of the Internal Investigation Division so I know we got bad people. We recruit from the human race. It's going to happen. Now, as far as Ferguson, I don't know. The jury's not out on that. But here's the thing, and I brought this up before with Evan Ginsburg. You know, people look at a situation that the police are involved in, and sometimes they think it's an overreaction. But it's like you see in a match. Of course, that's a little bit different scenario because we know what's going on there. But still, I'll, I'll equate it this way. When two guys can't turn it off and the dressing room enters, empties out. Well, that's what happens sometimes with the police. They get going, and it's emotional. You're scared, and the emotions take over, and sometimes they have a problem turning it off. You're supposed to. I have no question, no dispute about that. You're supposed to. But then there's also times when, it, like, three or four guys will grab a small person. Now, like this Livia in the movie Brush With Danger, she's a martial arts expert. But if we take the martial arts out of it, Livia's probably five, five, maybe 90 pounds. If she don't want handcuffs on her, I have to really physically hurt her. A wrist lock's not going to do it. An arm bar's not going to do it. You really So if somebody grabs a leg, somebody grabs an arm, it looks like you're murdering them because it's like four police on one little person, but you're actually trying to use the least amount of force. Now, the situation, how this played out in Ferguson, again, until we get all of the facts, we don't know. Does it look bad? Sure, it looks bad. But if it is explained and the facts come out, and I mean, Eric Holder, who, of course, he just resigned, but at the time he was attorney general, it's like, if you got him looking into it, he's it. He's the top guy. I don't know what else to do. I mean, he's going to be unbiased. It doesn't get any higher in law enforcement than him. So you got the right person on the job. And if he's the officer's wrong, then... Because uh, recently we had a case in Baltimore that was captured on video. An officer overstepped. He wailed the tar out of somebody. And retirees, active people, all on Facebook, they said this was wrong. This guy needs to get fired. There's no explanation for it. I mean, it, it was just a, a brutal beating. So it's like, yeah, you know, police do not tolerate that amongst their own. Because a lot of times people will say, how are they covering up? Now, baloney, especially in a shooting, you've got people to answer to. Yeah, I, I certainly don't envy the poor cops, you know. And, uh, you know, you get one or two bad cops like the Trayvon Martin thing down in Florida and some of that and attempts to uh, almost kind of make people kind of jump to this conclusion that all these cops are you know, uh, racially motivated and all this other stuff. And it, it's, it's not really fair to them, but I guess it's just the way it is. You know, it's it's unfortunate. Well, that, they're led, but they're led, Bruce, by the media, and people follow. It's like a trailer for a movie. They like it, they come, and they follow it. So 
You know, if an oh, officer yeah. is killed in the line of duty, then the media's out there pouring out their hearts out. It's going to be a funeral. If something bad happens, then it's like, oh, the police did this. And, you know, sometimes I think people get confused. But it, I've said this before, at least in the United States, it's not news. It's news entertainment because oh, yeah, they they, they, the story. they seem to feast and uh, flog the hell out of that stuff for months. CNN yeah. and all these other they, you know, all of them, them uh, CNN, Fox, every because they got to fill up how many hours? Like you know, when I was a kid, you had a half hour of news, and that included weather and sports. So you probably got ten minutes worth of news today. A story will run on for eight hours. It's like, man, who are they talking to now? It's like, gee, enough. <laughs> Burn it away. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Uh, like, if, I guess if it's you the same if, with... Uh, hello? If, if, you don't mind, if you don't mind, Bruce, I'm sorry. Um, I'll, if I can ask a question real quick to Nikita. Yes, um, sir. Yeah, Nikita, this is Evan, host of Under the Met Radio. Um, I live, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm close friend of Evan Ginsburg. Uh, just wanted to ask you that um, real quick. What is your... What is your mindset for us being a cop? You see our cops are being portrayed a lot in movies, you know, cricket cops or whatnot. How much, with you being a, a retired police officer um, from Baltimore, just in general, how much um, realism do you see being portrayed about cops in movies, and how much do you see um, being uh, fictitious? Well, I can tell you from the series Homicide Life on the Street, that was 100% on the money. I used to work a lot at those sets in security. Uh, that was before I even did anything, wrestling or acting, So, because the police department in Baltimore would cover the movies and sporting events. That series is 100% accurate. I haven't watched The Wire, but I've seen portions of it. In fact, it was Nikolai that brought me into his room in, in Indianapolis one night, and it was a ComStat meeting. And it's all the bosses screaming at the little guys, and he said, how do they get anything accomplished like that? I said, they don't. It's just... They're screaming at the guys to go out there and solve the crime. It's like, well, they're solving the crime, but when they go to the courthouse and they let them loose or they don't keep them in jail long enough, well, what are you going to do? So, But the portrayal, some of them, Evan, I'll tell you, yeah, they go over the top with uh, Hollywood drama. But my portrayal in this Brushwood Danger movie, it's very realistic, very accurate to the point of, some people might say that's not realistic because police would be more harsh. But again, no, not from my time we weren't because I take and try to help these two kids and try to get them away from a bad guy. Now, see, Baltimore, they used to have, uh, or they still have what is called a civilian review board. So, like, if you have a discourtesy complaint or excessive force, the Internal Investigation Division, they will do a review of it. When they conclude, it goes to the police commissioner, and then he goes before that civilian review board, which is comprised of people in high positions throughout the city of Baltimore, and, and a few citizens that are ordinary citizens, not just like high-ranking people of different organizations. And they review the facts, and they say, Yes, they don't have subpoena powers, but they can call and say, I'd like to have this looked at or that looked at. So that pretty well keeps things in check. You know, you see some movies where they say, oh, well, you know, the police have hit squads or this kind of, or they, there's a, a murder and they cover it up. You know, that too lends to this bad image that, well, the police are, or, or when a mother, and it's usually a mother that says, you see that policeman, if you're not good, he's going to come and take you. It's like, oh, tell him that. 
Why are you scaring the kid? Because then if somebody bothers the poor thing, then he's not going to want to come to talk to the policeman. So it's like, don't scare the kids that way. Yeah, that's a great perspective. I was going to ask you too, uh, Nikita, what was your take on all this uh, Ray Rice stuff? It seems to be kind of almost uh, more pervasive than the NFL, uh, what's going on <laughs> on the field, but all, all the stuff with Baltimore. and uh, it, it, What's your uh, perspective of that whole thing? That's a great, that I... great question, Bruce, because I was a domestic violence coordinator for three years where I specifically dealt with the victims. And we kept the police officers in line handling this because, believe it or not, they would get a little bit like, uh, we don't want to write this report. She's not going to do anything about it. And it's like, no, you've got to write the report. You've got to take pictures. Whether, I mean, if the person, the victim doesn't want to be photographed, you can't make her. But in some cases, what you see is, and this goes back to me. I, I was a, a child that was abused by my father. And when he died, he was a weak man. He died from cancer. He'd had a heart attack, and I mean, I was, you know, ex I did wrestling as well as managing and policemen, so yeah, I could take care of myself. But I still have nightmares that he's after me. And it's like the mindset of these victims, people say, well, why don't they just leave? You can't. You're, you're manipulated by these abusers. So with this Ray Rice incident, now, I don't know, you know, the NFL and specifically the Ravens owner, they're saying they got mixed signals. They didn't get this to the point that it actually is portrayed. But it's like, yeah, guys, it, come on. It still seems to be a lot of, you know, kind of, it almost seems like there's some kind of cover-up or discrepancy with uh, who saw the video and all like that. But Yeah, well, now, look, if one of us had a loved one, but they said, well, what if she passed out in the elevator and he drug her out? It's like, if any of us have a loved one that collapses, we're not going to drag them away. We're going to be hysterical screaming for somebody to help us because you don't know why they passed out. So it's like, no, that's a a stretch. Uh, I remember back in the day... uh, Oh, go ahead. A lot of people are taking back his shirts. I've I've seen in Baltimore because I follow the local news. Yep. A lot of people gave their, gave their jerseys away. But then again, yeah. I see women interviewed that are in love with him, and they say they don't care what he did, that it was a mistake, and that they're overstepping the punishment. That's like, so, you know, there you go. Another two sides of the coin. You, you don't know which way to go sometimes. Nikita, another thing with uh, abusive relationships is many times the women are in need of the man's financial support, and they're scared to leave. He's paying the bills. He's taking care of the kids. He's uh, the breadwinner, so it gets even more complicated. How do I leave with two kids? How do I leave with three kids? It gets very complicated. You're correct, and I, at one point, was at the state's attorney's office while we were looking for a replacement to fill in there. And I saw some women that would come in screaming, cussing, wanting to fight the state, the female state's attorney. She was in charge of the prosecution there. And it was like, we're not going to prosecute him. And she'd say, I don't care. We've got enough evidence. The state will prosecute. And, you know, people that didn't understand would say, well, why would a woman do that? And it's like, it's both sides of the coin. Just like I've been saying it, 
sometimes financial. What are you going to do if you have kids? And then, like I'm saying, too, if you're emotionally locked where you're afraid, like, if I leave, he's going to come and kill me, then they're not going to leave, and they're afraid to go to court and prosecute. So it's it's a really tough thing. I'm glad to see the NFL is moving now in that direction, you know? Yeah, there in, in the past, it seems like there was a lot of stuff either ignored or swept under the carpet. You know, I think you guys all heard stuff about, you know, uh, various football stars long before OJ, I might add, that allegedly, uh, you know, beat up their wives and all kinds of domestic abuse and with some pretty high-profile stars. And uh, it seemed to be kind of uh, almost uh, ignored or, you know, I never... Yeah, but I remember hearing a lot about it just uh, being on the periphery because we had a lot of football players that were coming into the wrestling business, and you'd hear all these stories about some of these big stars who were notorious for beating up women and all this stuff. And I'm sure you guys have probably heard similar. And uh, well, sure, never Bruce, ever but you got to remember back in the '60s. Now people would look at it and say it's none of our business, and it was everybody's business. But that's how it was. And even in neighborhoods where you would see the wife with a black eye, and you know she'd say, "Well, you know, I hit the door," but it, you heard the screaming, and you know what went on. And they would call the police, and it was handled like, "Well, it's a domestic situation. Let them work it out." That was wrong, and we've come a long way since then. And that's why. With this kind of a situation, it's like, hey, NFL, don't set these relations or the the progress we've made backwards. Now you got to keep going forward because you need women to stand up that are being abused. And I say women because most of the time it is. I'd say ninety nine percent of the time. So it's like you can't make them afraid. You can't give them anything that's going to make them hesitant to come forward. And unfortunately, the you know, the NFL as a whole has got the brand right now because of that, but it's like now it's up to them to take the brand off. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what how this kind of it eventually shakes down or what the, uh, you know, resolutions, if any, will be after the, uh, the whole thing kind of uh, simmers down. But I, I'm, I'm pleased that they seem to be... Uh, you know, taking some affirmative action rather than just kind of like in the old days, even after OJ, and I, I was told that OJ was, you know, uh, not not the only one who had, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's one of the few who committed murder, but I was told his behavior was, you know, uh, you know, uh, something that quite a few others had, you know, done, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a litany of NFL uh, players that were kind of uh, charged or uh, police, you know, spoke to them about some other stuff. But this yes. seems like it might be, uh, you know, finally uh, bringing it, you know, to the surface, and it might serve serve that good purpose anyway. But yeah, one good thing I can say, I never heard a whole lot of wrestling stories in that regard. Have you? I mean, I never really Very heard few, that. you know, obviously the Chris Benoit, which was kind of a, you know, sort of like wrestling's version of OJ, you know, that type of thing. And I heard something about Jimmy Snuka way back when. I don't know whether that was uh, was allegedly covered up. I mean, maybe Evan could even tell us a bit about that. But uh, there was some 
scenario and uh, I heard it was in Pittsburgh with Snuka and some girl ended up dying or getting thrown off a balcony or something like that. I, I never knew whether it was in all the, it was kind of shrouded in kind of speculative uh, kind of uh, mystery, but um, I know there was, there was a bit of that in the wrestling business too, you know, that seemed to, uh, you know, uh, rarely make the newspapers or whatever, but traveling on high octane again, I guess it's hard to turn it off. You know, when you're all the dynamics, home. you know, girls, uh, ring rats and groupies and mm. wives being upset and, uh, and the, uh, just sort of the nature of the beast that, you know, I'm sure there, uh, every sport seems to have, uh, a bit of that, you know, it, uh, and it's not always the, uh, the wrestlers or the football players that necessarily, uh, I think there's probably mitigating factors that, you know, kind of contribute to it all. But uh, Let me throw out this little tidbit to you. In Brush with Danger, Chief J. Strongbow's niece has a role. She is a crime lab technician that has a scene with me. Her name is Melissa Craig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she's a beauty. And she's a great actress. She's been in Hollywood for a long time and you know trying to make her way and when we were out shooting there that one scene olivia was like i you know i don't like it you go fix it because you know what to do with it so i i'm going through it i'm like well hey uh do you mind i know an actress and she's like i don't care go ahead i'm too busy you, you take care of it so we had a dialogue coach so she met with me and with melissa and, and to make sure she could pull it through and it was like yeah there you go, you know. And I met her through the chief, not obviously, but he actually asked me on his deathbed. And he called me because he and I were very close the, the last 10 years of his life. And he said, please look out for my niece, Nikita. And I'm like, what am I, I wish I could be out in Hollywood. I mean, I'll do my best, chief. You know, I love you like a father. And then when that opportunity came up, it was like, perfect. And she can do it because I've seen her reel and we auditioned her. So it was great. It was like, Okay, I kept my promise to my buddy, so... But boy, is she a beautiful girl. I tell you. Oh, it's nice to hear. And a great actress, too. So Uh keep your eyes out for Melissa Craig as well. I definitely will. And guys, I have to pull the plug because I got to go meet back with the producer, director, Livia. And when you see her in action in that trailer, I don't want to be on the receiving end of it. But I loved it, and I'd like to come back again. I'd love to have you and uh, give us tell us one more time about about your movie when it's coming out and uh, where we can see it and any other details that uh, you want to yes, tell us about. With the, well, it's been released in New York. It had its run there. It was in, opened in L.A., sold out in L.A. this past the weekend, and the but all the high officials were there from the Motion Picture Academy, so that was great news. It's running there for a week, running in Seattle. Now it's going to go to San, or not San Antonio, but San Jose, San Francisco this weekend, Texas, Austin, Virginia, and go to brushwithdanger.com, and everything will be on there, the cast, the crew, the trailer. The trailer is beautiful. 
as I told you about the music. Just take a look at it, folks, and you will love it. And I just I hope it's going to lead to much bigger and better things for everyone. I'm uh, looking forward to checking it out. Hopefully it'll uh, make its way up to Canada here. I, uh, I'm definitely going to be uh, checking it out. And uh, Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, I'd very much love to have you on. Uh, we just barely scratched the surface on a lot of things, and uh be uh, great to uh, get you back on, Nikita. Thanks very much Please. for uh, coming on. Thank you, Nikita. My pleasure, guys. As Evan Ginsberg can say, I can talk. So, yeah, no problem, guys. Yeah. I love it. And I love talking wrestling. It was great to talk with you, Bruce. And Evan from Baltimore, you're a brother. Baltimore is yeah. always great. Thank you. And Thank Evan you. Ginsberg, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks Thank for you. Donya. Thanks, Nikita. And, and, uh, sorry, uh, Evan, I haven't had a chance to even catch up with you, but I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that in, uh, for the rest of the program. I'm told you're going to be uh, staying with you. us for and, uh Sure, sure, no problem. And, yeah. and, and real quick, and with that being said, um, not to catch you off, I believe right now we have Colin N., the director of a great upcoming documentary, 350 Days and a uh, man that I had the pleasure to do some work with before, Mr. Dan Antola. Welcome to you, Heartbeat Radio with Bruce Hart, Evan from Underground Radio, and Evan Ginsburg. Darren Antola, how are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. You could maybe uh, uh, just kind of uh, give us, give our listeners some uh, kind of uh, introductory overview on, on your project. and uh, Sure. Well, I think your guy made a mistake. I'm the creator of 350 Days. The director, he's probably going to call at any moment, which is Fulvio Cesare. I'm sorry. Yeah, this I goes back. <laughs> yeah. This basically goes back to the territory days when guys would work 350 days a year, being away from their family. and it just really goes way back to territory days, you know, and uh, I think it's going to be a really good film. Oh, that's great. Now, is it going to be on, uh, like, uh, in uh, select movie theaters, or is it just going to be uh, on network, or you maybe give us some idea of uh, well, how we've been talking to a couple. Of, we've been talking to a couple of networks, but I just can't divulge right now. But um, I, I would love to get it to network, and hopefully if things work out, it will. Um, but otherwise, if it doesn't, it would go uh, right to DVD. But I, I'm really very confident it's going to get picked up by a network. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, maybe you could give us some, uh, you know, tell us about some of the. Uh, there's a myriad of fascinating people I'm told that have already uh, lent themselves to it. You know, uh, oh sure. Wrestlers have, and, it's, it's a, okay, we got Jimmy Superfly, Snooker, Brett well, Park. Uh, the list goes on. I, I could name some more for you if you'd like. Uh, superstar Billy Graham. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Lex Luger, The Mass Superstar, uh, Bill Eady, Million Dollar Man, Tito Santana, Greg DeHammer Valentine, and Stan Hansen. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is like, uh, as Evan Ginsberg likes to say, the Gone with the Wind, the professional wrestling movie. Here. There's like 60 people, Bruce, 60, and they're all names. It's no joke. Yeah, those are all uh, many, many uh, old buddies of mine. I'm... Uh, Intrigued, my ears were lighting up as I uh, was hearing and all those they, names. Yeah, so many of them. Uh, 
With it being said, I believe Fabio was calling in now. Uh, is this Fabio? Uh, welcome to Hobby Radio. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome How's to it Hobby going, Radio. Bruce? Yeah, Thank great you. to have yeah, great to have you on and uh yeah, we're just uh being introduced to your uh movie and you know, uh the myriad of fascinating legends, you know, the superstar Billy Grahams and the Bill Eadies and the Snookas and Stan Hansons and if you could give us some uh kind of uh, idea of uh you know, some of the topics or themes these guys were uh discoursing upon and and well, some of it, that kind of it, thing. It, well, before I do that, I wanted to say, though, that uh, lately I've been doing a lot of research and I, I've come across a whole bunch of footage and um, uh, a lot of uh, old stampede wrestling footage and a lot of yours. And I got to say, you were quite the wrestler, Bruce. I was uh, very impressed. I saw I, I've seen a lot, a lot of your wrestling lately. I appreciate so, that. I want you to know that. Nice of you to say. I, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough back in the day. My dad was kind of letting me do some booking up here, so I, uh, I was delighted that I had a, you know, pretty uh, integral part in developing or just breaking in guys like Dynamite and Davey and Owen yeah. and Ben Juan and some of those guys. So that was always. The thing I was sort of proudest of is just sort of uh, getting those guys uh, launched, you know, and uh, giving them uh, some kind of uh, insight into working and all of that, you know. So, But I, I much appreciate that. And as I was saying before, some of those names that you were mentioning that are on your documentary, are, uh, those are old uh uh, friends of mine, and some of them started up here, like Superstar Billy Graham and some of those guys, you know. So, and I forgot I'm, to uh, mention guys like Abdullah the Butcher, who was big in Canada. Big Abby, yeah, yeah Larry Shreve. <laughs> yeah, those are yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, J.J. Dillon, who wrestled uh, up in uh, Vancouver yeah. as well. Yeah, J.J. Was Don Leo like Jonathan your, uh, as well. Yeah, old uh, Don Leo and uh, my dad had a uh, a lot of the Samoans up here, for whatever reason, uh, I'm not sure why a lot of them uh, ended up starting up here, like Afa and Sika, and and uh, I think Peter Maivia and uh, Nef Maiava, and um, you know a uh, whole bunch of that uh, Samoan. And for whatever reason, my dad had uh, seemed to be the uh, launching pad for so many of these Japanese guys. I don't know whether the Back in the day, even guys like Kenji Shibuya and Mitsu Arakawa, and um, for whatever reason, they uh, very few of them seem to be able to get work in the states. I'm not sure if it was backlash from World War II or what was going on, but uh, <laughs> I remember uh, for years my dad would have all these Japanese guys, but uh, very few of them ever uh, seemed to uh, work in any of the major places in the states, which was somewhat intriguing and the few that did were usually hawaiians or <laughs> not real japanese anyway you know like uh you know they you know, had a little bit of maybe uh japanese uh heritage but you know i i often wondered what was the deal back in back in the 60s it seemed like uh you know there was some kind of closet racism going on there or something with within the wrestling business, you know, but 
you know, Bruce, it's almost like your dad, uh, as if he had a branding iron for everybody he trained. Everybody seemed to excel and uh, have a career for themselves. Yeah, uh, yeah. Funny, Calgary is sort of a melting pot for all these different styles, like the British, you know, almost all the primary British guys who kind of uh, went on to stardom in the States, uh, including like Billy Robinson and Les Thornton and uh, later Dynamite and Davey and that bunch. They all seemed to uh, start here in Calgary first, and then it seemed like uh, a myriad of the French Canadians, they all seemed to uh, come here first before they, like Mad Dog Vachon and the, uh, you know, the all the guys from the Maritimes. What we interviewed Paul. Paul, Paul the Butcher. Butcher, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. up here with Maurice back in the uh, 50s. With They had this other big kind of uh, quasi-freak named the Great Antonio that was, you know, part of their entourage. And, but, uh, yeah, I remember, like, Tarzan Tyler was up here at that time. And, uh, you know... Uh, I think even old Hans Schmidt was uh, did a stint up here, you know, and uh, and so many of them uh, evolved into uh, playing other roles other than the French Canadians. And I remember even a lot of the uh, Abbey and some of those guys kind of got their uh, careers launched up here. Ab- Abbey sort of had been down in Montreal for a bit, and I, I think the uh, the guy who was booking all the midgets at that time named Jack Britton. He uh, got my dad to bring Abby in, and Abby was, I think, one of the hottest heels we ever had in the territory. But um, for whatever reason, he never worked in the states uh, very little. Uh, you know, I don't know what the deal was. And there was another black guy named Sweet Daddy Seeky who was incredible. Uh, you know, uh, and for whatever reason, he seemed to uh, uh, not, either not want to work in the states or kind seem to uh, find work in the States. and You know, you know Bruce, I think Fulvio ran into him recently. He was uh, working uh, as an entertainer somewhere, right, Fulvio? Sweet yeah. daddy. He, uh, he lives in Toronto. He does a little karaoke thing on uh, on weekends. But they, they just had a, a big uh, retrospective for him uh, in Toronto. I think it was over this last weekend where they had yeah. um, George Chevallo and I, yeah, I think your brother was there. Wasn't he? Smith was there? Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, I don't know how old Sweet Daddy is these days. He must be uh, getting on a bit. But uh, I often, my dad used to say that too, if uh, Sweet Daddy had, uh, you know, been uh, given uh, an opportunity in a place like WWE, you know, if if he'd come along 20, 30 years later, he would have been, uh, you know, uh, an incredible sensation you know because he, he had charisma and he was had a great look and he was <laughs> an awesome interview and all like that you know and, but yeah it's it's uh it's fascinating to hear some of those names that you were mentioning though because uh a lot of a lot of those names uh within the industry are like uh incredible and i think a lot of uh our modern fans maybe aren't familiar with them you know they're kind of right. uh pre pre WWE generation but uh you mentioned the uh, guy Billy Robinson who was a real hooker and a shooter who could really shoot and uh, trained a lot of uh, Vern Gagne's guys am I right yeah Billy was um 
oddly enough, he, he arrived in Calgary in uh, 69, and he had just just come from Japan, but he had been involved in that infamous skirmish with Peter Maivia in, in uh, Japan. And, and there was some kind of a pretty wild brawl, uh, you know, and Billy had a big bite mark on his neck. And uh, but that was kind of a well-known uh, incident. But yeah, Billy he was just passed, uh, just passed recently. Yeah, Did he he, he, wow. he was yeah. uh, one of the uh, one of the great, truly great workers. You know, aside from being a great hooker or whatever, he, he was like an, uh, an incredible uh, worker too. You know, really dynamic and. Um, lo- uh, I think his primary, uh, where he got a lot of his notoriety or fame was in the Minneapolis, Vern Gagne's territory, but I don't know whether he ever worked much outside of that territory in the States, though. he, You know, a lot of people don't seem to be aware of how great he was, you know. He, he was like a really... Uh, I know the Iron Sheik knows how great he was. <laughs> yeah. I know you know yeah, that. He, yeah, he was, uh, you know, a legendary over in England, you know, and he was sort of the, uh, maybe the uh, the British guy that kind of paved the way for all those, Lord, Lord Alfred Hayes and the uh, the others that followed after them, you know. And some, but yeah, those, those are some uh, fascinating uh, and diverse characters he got on. On there, you know, I can he, name some more for you if you like. I mean, uh, sure. Uh, we have uh, Angelo Mosca, the Wolfman, Lily Farkas, uh, well, Nikolai Volkov, Bushwhacker Luke. Yeah, every one of those guys <laughs> that you just mentioned uh, kind of got their launch in Calgary, uh, and Mosca was right. playing with Hamilton, and then the Bushwhackers, who were called the Kiwis at that time. They uh, we, we got we got Luke. Yeah, we interviewed Luke as well, Lex Luger. But um, you know, speaking of stampede and uh, territories, uh, I've been spending a lot of time in Vancouver, so I've gotten I've gotten to meet and interview a few people out here. They were all part of uh, the All Star Wrestling and Stampede Wrestling. Yeah, which guys are out there? You know, I've often wondered what's happened to some of the. uh, I interviewed uh, Eric Froelich uh, recently. How is Eric's health these days? Is he? I've heard he had some <laughs> hip or hip replacement or some of that. Yeah, kind but of he's stuff. he's in he's in excellent condition. Uh, I, I tried to get a hold of uh, Moose Morawski and Dean Ho, and I think their their health is not uh, is not the best. But yeah, uh, I heard, Eric's, I heard Moose had had some you know pretty serious issues. Nice guy, old yeah. Man. Stan Mikitowicz, I guess, was his real name, but nice, uh, really nice guy. And uh, how, Dean Higuchi, I guess we used to know him as Dean Ho or Dean Higuchi. Right. He's not doing too well. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think his, uh, you know, his his memory's starting to go a bit. And but really, really nice guy. And and you know, I spoke to him on the phone, and uh, both of them just, you know, the the memories they had, and they were so excited that you know someone called and you know, are still interested and, you know, they remember them and it, it, it's, it's really great. I mean, I, I wish that they weren't in, you know, in such bad health. Otherwise they'd make great interviews. But, you know, I also interviewed um, 
uh, Bruce Allen, who who did some uh, promoting out in Vancouver for uh, Stampede Wrestling. Uh, oh yeah, back he, in, he, I guess it was in the '80s. Yeah, he was a huge fan. He uh, he's to some of the people out there who don't know the name. He was managing, uh, I think, uh, Brian Brett, Adams. Brett, it was for a while. Yeah, and well, back, it's back from the, Turner Overdrive and some of those huge bands up here in Canada, and then he uh, Nickelback, uh, Michael Bublé, uh, Tina McBride. I mean, he's he's huge in, in the movie industry. Oh, yeah. but you wouldn't believe how what a big wrestling fan he is. He's got all kinds of memorabilia in his office. Uh, he's a big boxing fan and big wrestling fan. And got oh, yeah, he was up here during the heyday, the heyday of uh, Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy and. Uh, Bad News Allen and Hockey Tonk Man and David Schultz and uh, that bunch. And, uh, yeah, he he was uh, a great guy, Bruce Allen. We had a, 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 good, a really uh, good promoter. He uh, That's a name I haven't heard for a while, so I'm glad he had yeah. a chance. Well, he, 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 here's another one that's really going to jog your mind, okay? Uh, there's the name uh, – oh, let me see if I got it right uh, – is it Tyler Macbeth? Tyler oh, yeah, Macbeth. Yeah. yeah, he was a, a lawyer. We had him playing this kind of, uh, you know, somewhat the uh Yeah, he was the head of the uh, Judiciary Committee of the NWA, supposedly, back then. You know, he was sort of like the J. Edgar Hoover of, of Right, the well, he's, he's, a big, he's a big deal uh, lawyer here in Vancouver. He's got yeah, a big very, office right, uh, right downtown, and yeah, very intelligent guy. And uh, oddly enough, he used to just for uh, kicks. He, I'm told, he used to be sort of a undercard jabroni. He used to do matches on the side under the name of uh, I'm trying to remember what the hell. He had some wrestling name that Jim Dimitri, I think, is what it was. And uh, that's, that's he, right. Yeah, his name is Jim Vilvang. Yeah, and he wrestled under the name of Jim Dimitri, and you'd see him on the, uh, on we uh, used to call it All Star Wrestling, but uh, it would come out to Calgary uh, on CTV Network out here, and we'd see him uh, once in a while, and what they had these matches at the end of the show called the duration matches or some such thing, and you'd see him on there. But he was a good friend of a guy named Freddie Barron who. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, introduced us to him, and he was perceived to be like the Gary Bettman or the uh, Roger Goodell of the NWA, and he'd come out here and, you know, ban wrestlers for life and do all these other... Right, uh, right. And he had had a good uh, shtick about him. His, uh, you know, being a lawyer, he was pretty good at kind of uh, making it sound uh, very kind of proper and all like that so those are some fascinating names uh i uh yeah i got yeah, a question glad... for you bruce uh, yeah. did you ever think that stan hansen would get over the way he did um i was intrigued you know because I, I was down in amarillo back in uh early 70s with uh dory actually dory senior was still alive back then uh and I remember Stan Hansen, and he had the big, thick glasses, and, you know, he was sort of a big, folksy cowboy type, and he was right. down there with uh, another guy named Bobby Duncombe, and uh, um, I think 
Brody was around there too, and I, I was uh, at that time that he was sort of more of a you know uh, an underneath heel type, you know, and uh, he didn't seem to be uh, at that time destined for stardom, but he uh, he evolved into a, a huge star, so especially in I'm, Japan, I'm, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised that he made it, but uh, you know. On first glance, you know, you'd have figured uh, there was probably other guys, including maybe Duncan and them, that seemed like they were, uh, you know, maybe gonna get there first, you know. But but yeah, I think I think one of the things that maybe enhanced Stan's was he uh, he got along with everyone. He was pretty uh, savvy. Uh, you know, kind of uh, getting along, and I think that made a. And I, th- I think he uh, there was a few Japanese guys in in the territory at that time. I think Jumbo Taruta and some of them that kind of uh, he had a chance to work with. And the Japanese at that time they were big on these uh, so-called monster heels like uh, Abdullah types, and uh, I think Stan fit into that and I think Brody too you know it was sort of like yeah, you know, Brody was awesome and Abdullah was awesome as well he was just awesome. Bruce Bruce I'll tell you a quick Stan Hansen story in okay. the WWWF um, Ernie Ladd and Ivan Koloff and superstar Billy Graham had just finished their runs with Bruno so they bring in Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody who at the time nobody really knew here and it was considered like a step down so Hansen is wrestling Bruno, and he accidentally breaks his neck. Okay, and this was this was nine, this was 1976. So it was like this unbelievable heat, and and next thing you know, they're wrestling in Shea Stadium, Bruno and uh, Stan Hansen, and he was a huge star after that. So it was kind wow. of an accident, just how big he got, you know. Sort of like Killer yeah, I, 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 I thought he was great. I, I thought he was great. He was, yeah, uh, he was tremendous. Yeah, yeah, easy. You know, as you guys know, real, really uh, nice guy, Stan. Pretty easy to get along with, you know, and uh, never gave any uh, grief to too too many promoters. So I think that all enhanced his uh, his rise. But yeah, those are some fascinating names you mentioned. That other one was Ivan Koloff, who was, uh, of course. Uh, he was in that Vancouver territory for years, uh, wrestling under the name of Red McNulty, and and at that time he was sort of a more of a nondescript mid-card, you know, kind of villain who wrestled in the uh, duration matches and all that kind of stuff, you know. And I remember he sent another uh, when he was Red McNulty, he uh, he did some stuff out here in Calgary, and he ended up sending. Uh, one of his protégés out here, a guy named Dale Hay, who uh, eventually uh, became a pretty good worker under the name of Buddy Roberts, or the, the fabulous yeah. Freebirds. And, uh-huh. sure. yeah. Yeah. and he, he was uh, just sort of a, a, a buddy of uh, Red McNulty at that time, and I think his brother Jerry McNulty, I don't know whether he ever became much of a worker or not, uh, Jerry, but he and Dale Hay came out here in maybe the late 60s, and they were uh, 
I think another guy who was out here with them at that time was uh, another uh, young guy named uh, Greg Valentine, who was just kind of uh, sent out here by Johnny, who had uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of been out in Calgary in the early 50s when he was kind of getting his feet wet, you know. So it's kind of uh, interesting to hear some of those names and, uh, you know, uh, and see how they evolved, you know, because... Uh, so yeah. many of them uh, went on to pretty uh, pretty good careers. Yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg was uh, was having a hell of a rivalry with Tito. Those guys were selling out arenas all over the place, night after night, you know? Yeah, and uh, I think Greg returned a couple of years later with this uh, kind of colorful uh, character that you guys, I'm sure, have heard of named Don Fargo, who, uh, and they were, yeah. he, he was wrestling. Well, his, we interviewed Don. We interviewed Don. Yeah, yeah, we got him. Yeah, he's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and he was uh, one of those really kind of colorful characters that uh, you know uh, back back in the fifties. One of those guys who was you know kind of outrageous, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, you know a uh, bit of a degenerate or whatever. You know, but he yeah. he. Uh, Great worker too, Don. I might add, you know, and uh, but it's, it's kind of uh, interesting, you know, how the those guys sort of had a, you know, uh, interesting starts up here, you know. Yeah, I mean, Fulvio's done a great job directing this thing, and he's uh, really done a fantastic job. He's been producing guys as well, you know, and having Ginsburg as well. He uh, he helped tremendously with with this project. I'm sure he's told you about it. Yeah, are, are these guys just sort of more or less given, you know, uh, their kind of retrospectives on the the way the business used to be or how it was when they were working? Or Oh, it's, 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 it's A to Z. It's A, a, a to Z. The, 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 primary, the primary theme, that which is why it's called 350 Days, is these guys were away from their families, away from their kids, 350 days a year. They were wrestling on Thanksgiving. They were wrestling on Christmas. They uh, didn't get to their kids' graduations. Um, it, it's a documentary. It's not, it, it, it transcends wrestling. It's, a, it's about the effect, you know, a, a schedule, a lifestyle like that has on a marriage, has on your relationship with your kids, etc., so on. The attempt here is to do a quality film beyond just pro wrestling. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah well, that's that, fascinating because I remember so many of the guys, uh, so many of the guys you mentioned, but I remember uh, most of them were up here, and in most cases their wives were not even up here in the territory. They were down in the States somewhere, you know. I remember uh, so many of those guys... Uh, you know, saying that they would have to get back to their wives or they would call their wives or the, they missed their kids and all that stuff. But uh, it was, I was always intrigued. I was pretty young then, but I was, you know, like uh, they didn't even see their wives or kids for uh, months or however long at a time. You know, I could only imagine, you know, how hard that would have been on their marriages. And I, I saw a lot of their marriages dissolve or uh, go down the drain, unfortunately. You know, there was other women up here and all kinds of other sure. dynamics. And uh, 
at the time I wasn't old enough to appreciate all the stuff, but it, you know, in retrospect, you know, it's it's sad how uh, how many of those uh, marriages and families were kind of uh, compromised just by uh, the demands of the wrestling business. Well, we've, we definitely have that covered because uh, they they've spoken at length about that, and you know, and it's it's really kind of touching in a way because you see these big, you know, bruiser type guys and they, they kind of like start breaking down when, when they remember those days. And, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. I can't think of too many businesses in retrospect that would place so much, uh, you know, strain on, on a marriage, you know, and, um, the sad thing too, I guess, is a lot of them weren't making great. You know, they weren't getting rich either. You know, they were mostly just getting by, right. and there wasn't that much yeah, money. They're getting out of a suitcase, making twenty-five bucks a night. Some of them to start, you know. Yeah, I don't think too many of the them were maybe even able to send too much money back home to their wives either. You know, so I can right. only imagine the, uh, you know, how how tough that might have been. You know, and I think a lot of the. The fans probably have no idea, but that's that's an interesting perspective that's never really, to my knowledge, been, you know, kind of presented to the uh, the fans, you know, just sort of like what what it was like back in the day, you know, it's probably like some of the, I guess, some of these other sports where they're barnstorming like minor league hockey and some of that kind of stuff were, uh, you know, and but at least those guys have maybe have an off season unlike the wrestlers, you know, but but I mean yeah, yeah I see some of these guys today working in stores, I see them texting, these young kids texting their girlfriends. Could you imagine if, if they couldn't get in touch with their girlfriend, let alone their wife? And these are days before the internet or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways they uh <laughs> went out of their way not to <laughs> be interacting with their wives or whatever because they had you know, uh, girls. Not all of them. Here. Not all. Yeah. No, I, uh, but I, we used to see it up here quite often. You know, there's all, all kinds of little dalliances and all this other stuff, you know. And uh, I remember a few times the wives would, uh, you know, uh, come up to visit these guys up here on the road, and the, the girlfriends would, you know, their noses would be bent out of shape because they had to, uh, you know, lay lower in some cases, you know, were unaware that sure. these guys were married and that kind of stuff, you know, there's all kinds of little uh, soap opera elements to it, you know, but right. it's, it's interesting to, uh, you know, get, get caught up on that. Did you interview any of the wives or was that, uh, you know, uh, within the uh, parameter of that? We got, we got some wives. Yeah, I actually I did speak with uh, Eric Froelich's wife, and they've been together for thirty something years. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Bill Leedy's daughter, his grandson. Uh, I forget. I forget Jimmy Snooker's. We got Jimmy Snooker's new wife, Carol. Jimmy Snooker's wife, Carol Snooker. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to get the the family. Uh, we're trying to be as inclusive as possible here. I mean, I've spoken to. Uh, promoters, referees, uh, you know, trainers, uh, people that own wrestling school. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, everybody brings something to the table. 
Yes, yeah. Larry Sharp. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. this is going to be, the, and I, I heard you guys say that we're up to about 60 interviews. I, I think we're closer to 80. We 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 did um, we went to the Hall of Fame up in Amsterdam and we got so many great interviews with some of the legends there, like Joyce Grable and uh, Dick the Destroyer and it was just it was just such an awesome thing. We we we've spoken to historians. I mean, this is uh, really you know it's going to open up a lot of eyes. I think because even me because I I wasn't really a wrestling fan when I started this, so I didn't really know the history of wrestling. I mean, I I wrestled in high school, you know. I used to watch my dad uh, watching wrestling on TV, but, you know, I, I just never really got into it. But now when you, when you sit down and you hear these stories, you know, it, if I didn't know these stories, there's so many people out there that don't know either. And it's such a popular thing. And, and the thing that really uh, just blew my mind is when we were in the, the Hall of Fame and we spoke to this story and he, he told me that this started like basically after the Civil War. I mean, who would have thought that? You know, I'd heard that the, it was popular during the, the carnival days, you know, so you'd think maybe it turned a century and all that, but I, I don't think the average wrestling fan <clears throat> knows that wrestling spans that that length of time, you know, and has that kind of history. So I, I think, you know, that, that's what we're hoping to do, and uh, I, we've, we've got a lot of great, great stuff. Oh, it sounds like it. I'm, I'm definitely going to be... Uh intrigued just to see how how they uh you know uh present it you know was, did you find there was like a lot of bitterness or there was regrets or what was, no know? no as a matter of fact uh quite the contrary uh, i i if there's one thing here i'm glad like, to hear that you know no one oh i mean if anything you know well, the, i i think the biggest issue is their health uh, g- given that, uh, you know, they, they loved what they did. And, uh, you know, for, for the most part, most of them would do it all over again. It, it was, you know, they, they were major celebrities. They were, they were athletes. They were famous. And some of them did do well and, uh, you know, took care of themselves and have money. But, uh, you know, a lot don't. But they don't regret the actual wrestling. I always had a great deal of empathy and uh, whatever for the, uh, for the wives, you know, I... I... I, I see some of them up here in Calgary when I was a little kid and all like that, but they were always pretty, uh, you know, kind of what my dad used to refer to as troopers. You know, they'd be kind of yeah. up here, kind of uh, stand by their man type thing, you know, and it uh, wasn't an easy life for them. You know, they were just stuck up here in the, out in the middle of nowhere and kind of, uh, you know, kind of trying to help their husbands who were, you know... They were guarding their property, right? Yeah, and there wasn't that much... None of them were getting paid that much back back in long before the, uh, you know, the bigger payoffs and that stuff. So it must have been a labor of love, you know. But, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear some of the the wives' perspectives on that, you know, because uh, it couldn't have been an easy uh, lot for uh, so many of them. You no, know? I mean, you're, you're going to be surprised when you see this documentary when these these people were candid and they were very open about everything, you know, not, not pulling any punches about anything. Yeah, and I, uh, you mentioned Joyce Grable, you know, we had her on a couple of weeks back, and uh, th- that should be fascinating in itself because uh, that, that was kind of a tough go, you know, with with them back in the day, they were uh, 
on you know the, unlike the wrestlers where they maybe stayed in a territory for six months or something like that, the girls would maybe come to Calgary for two weeks and then were off to uh, the states for two weeks and off to Japan and just sort of uh, barnstorming, you know two weeks at a time and living out of their suitcases and uh, yeah. <laughs> all of that. You know, but we, that we also we also had um, Wendy Richter. Yeah, she, she was fantastic. She was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah phenomenal. she sort of, uh, I remember her when she was uh, more or less breaking in up here with, uh, I think Joyce was sort of like the leader of the pack back at that time, maybe in the early 80s. And, uh, and uh Wendy was just sort of uh, the new kid on the block at that time, but uh, but yeah, that was that was uh, tough. I'd, I'd love to hear some of those perspectives because there was all kinds of politics and uh, wrestlers hitting on them and all kinds of other little uh, dynamics that uh, often never uh, have kind of come to the surface as far as. Uh, the wrestling male, female, and even the midgets, you know, they had, uh, you know, and we had some of them on too, you know, and that interesting. Well, we all had far, he, he went and filmed Farmer Pete. He got him in the film too, Farmer Pete. I don't know, he wasn't the original Farmer Pete, but, um, he did, uh, wrestle under Farmer Pete, correct, Fulvio? Yeah. Yeah. He lives in Toronto. He used to do, it was in the, did it in the seventies. He, um, wrestled the uh, Madison Square Garden. Did you you have a, uh, you mentioned uh, you had a chance to maybe converse with Phil Watson and some of those guys that were uh, kind of uh, involved with the midgets back in the day, or I'm not sure if Gino Brito, was he still uh, in circulation or? No, I I don't know if he is or not, but we didn't get a chance to interview him. I know his dad um, was the guy who sent, who booked like Little Beaver and Sky Lolo and yeah. Jack Britton, as they called him, and uh, he was yeah. kind of the. Uh, but yeah, the, the but Farmer Pete's name was uh, was Paul Richard, Paul Richard. Yeah. I think was his name. Yeah. Yeah, there were. I don't. I don't know. Some of those guys. There's uh, Cowboy Lang was another one. He sort of came out of here, and uh, another guy named Coconut Willie and. Some of them, those are some of the more recent ones. I don't know that they're still... Uh, Great name. Yeah, go on. And that's that's sort of another casualty of, I guess, the WWE. Uh, like back in the day, the midgets were... Uh, there was quite a few of them seemed to be, you know, uh, earning a living. But uh, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the only ones I can think of are maybe uh, Hornswoggle and... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know who else. <laughs> they sort of almost. Have... There's one that, that, that wrestled these days, uh, Steve Sampson or Sampson Steve. I, I don't know his name, but there, there, there's still a few around. You know, and, I, and that's what I wanted to make. Sure, I wanted to make. Uh, I wanted to get their opinion on whether they felt exploited at the time, or you know, did they think it was a novelty? And you know, they, they didn't. The, the, they thought that you know. They were wrestlers. They 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 just loved it. There was nothing about. Uh, there was no exploitation. They knew what they were doing, and it was just part yeah. of a big show. And they were just lucky to be there. It, w- it was unfortunate with with WWE. You know, like back in the day, the midgets and the girls 
their routine was to you know travel around the circuits and all like that but it was kind of it's tough even with the divas right now in the wwe you know they're more of a novelty act than anything else you know and uh they've sort of uh i'm not sure if they even you know uh, worn out their welcome or myself as a fan i get sort of almost tired of seeing them every damn week you know it's like uh the old days you'd bring them in once a year and they kind of would be kind of uh well received but um but but yeah that'll be interesting to hear just their perspectives on all of that you know and uh i mean bruce is a story about now there's only two territories left and back then it was what 30 of them now there's just two yeah. places to go so this is really going back to the territory days really Talking about what it was like, you know, day to day, going to a diner, the difficulty getting food, all that kind of stuff. I imagine they got a lot of this sort of fly on the wall perspectives because, you know, uh, they would come into all these territories and, uh, you know, all of a sudden be immersed in all the, you know, the politics and whatever else for two or three weeks, and then they would go to the next place and the same and and. I remember uh, whenever the girls at the midgets were up here, that was always one of the things all the wrestlers were always seeking. You know, they would be riding around in the vans or the uh, buses, and uh, everyone would be seeking to know what was going on in Amarillo or what was going on in Tennessee or, you know, who was doing what in uh, Fritz's territory or Vern's or Donahon's or and they they were always pretty uh you know interesting and they'd give you all the lowdown on this and that and the gossip and the uh all the other you know it was it was kind of uh fascinating in retrospect you know you just mentioned the name Fritz he had some territory didn't he world class he had some yeah yeah, yeah Fritz yeah, he was another guy who uh, I'm sure you guys know sort of started up here in Calgary. I remember when I was a little kid, he uh, he's living in a trailer in my dad's backyard. Fritz and Doris, wow. Von Eric, and uh, I think a couple of the kids were pretty young then, uh, Jackie uh, and some of them, you know, and uh, maybe Kevin, you know. And uh, But but yeah, he was, uh, you know, it's interesting to see how he, Evolved. I think he was up here with a big Italian guy named Emilio DiPaolo, who was uh, later, I think they went to Buffalo and did some business uh, after that, you know. But it's interesting right. to re- well, remember and, those guys. And Bruce, for, for people that uh, maybe weren't listening in on the, the last interview we did, uh, I, I can't fail to mention that we interviewed your brother Brett, of course. And, oh, yeah. Uh, he was... He was truly one of uh, the highlights of the documentary. He he couldn't have been more gracious and uh, just a wealth of information and uh, just just such a classy guy. Uh, just yeah, I, I'm glad I, I you had a chance. I just saw Brett and uh, Mick Foley out here a couple of days back, and uh, Mick was doing his. Uh, he does this kind of comedy, uh, quasi comedy right. act stuff up here, and uh, so yeah, I saw him with Brett. Uh, Maybe two days ago, so fascinating. But but yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad Brett was able to give you some uh, you know stories, and uh, <laughs> hopefully you got some of the uh, you know the lowdown on some of the ribs and the practical jokes. That's 
You know, it oh, was another element of, uh, I remember up here in oh, Calgary, yeah. there was always uh, these elaborate uh, mischief and pranks and uh, yeah. all that going Even on. Even brown trouts and guys' suitcases and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was sort of a, every road trip there was some kind of uh, mischief and whatever going on, you know, and... Uh, you know, and some of the names you mentioned were kind of among the uh, more notorious perpetrators. I think Johnny Valentine had the uh, championship belt for that type of stuff, right? He was, he was one crazy. of, you know, there was like a, maybe a, a handful of guys that were almost notorious for it, including Fargo and Valentine. And uh, I think uh, I think Harley was <laughs> doing a few, you know, and... Uh, uh, there was a few others. I know Dynamite and them were pretty, uh, you know, kind of uh, active in that regard. You know? and, right. But, but yeah, I don't know. There is some of that stuff still has not kind of, you know, been brought to the surface. You know, cause some of some of the ribs were pretty uh, elaborate and uh, nice cars and well parking meters, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and some of them weren't uh, were, were actually half malicious, or you know they were. Uh, uh, you know, I've heard some of the guys are still angry about some of the uh, stuff. You know, beyond the Mabel parties and the other, you know, uh, <laughs> chicanery that was being perpetrated. But uh, I'd love to hear if some of those guys uh, maybe uh, gave you some insight into some of that stuff too. You know, because that was, oh yeah. You know, uh, legendary stuff with you mentioned the valentines and the, i think ted christie was another one who was always up to sky sky highly and uh some of those others you know that were always up to some kind of uh <laughs> you know kind of debauchery or whatever you know but right but yeah i guess it's a family show so i don't want to digress <laughs> <laughs> discussing some of the sort of details. Yeah, right. <laughs> I might, might, might put a rated R on it. We don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, when is this uh, thing coming out? Is it, uh, you know, uh, have you got a, uh, some some kind of estimated date of when it might be uh, available? Well, we're, to... we're, we're not rushing yeah, it. Okay. We're pretty much... Uh, I, I think we're, for all intents and purposes, we're pretty much done with the, you know, what's called principal photography, and uh, unless uh, you know we come across somebody else that just really needs to be interviewed, uh, we're done and we're all like in uh, editing mode right now. And there's a uh, our editor in Toronto, Paul Whitehead. He's got a team working on it right now as we speak, and um, right. so there's 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 no rush. We're we're making sure that um, we're getting everything done as as best we can. That we have uh, all the I's dotted and T's crossed, and uh, you know securing uh, footage and uh, you know there's there's so much work yet to do. But for all intents and purposes, filming is done, and now it's just a matter of uh, getting it together. And uh, there's just so much footage. I mean, you know, 80 interviews at least. That that's a lot of stuff to look through and pick up the gems and and really tell the story you know the right way. 
Yeah, uh, I, I can say this: that the fans will not be disappointed. Yeah, I'm. What do you figure? Uh, do you figure it'll be in theaters, or it's most? Uh, you think it's more likely to be like on A and E or some? Uh, well, my my goal is to get it into the theaters because that's where I think it belongs, and uh, it would reach the the widest audience. But there's there's all kinds of things. Um, you know, a good natural home for it would be a network like um, like HBO Sports or ESPN, one of the the sports stuff. But you think it would ever it, end up on the uh, WWE network, or is it? Uh, well, I doubt that. You know, well, do you know what? Honestly, um, I got to tell you the truth about that. I I think we stand a pretty good chance, and I'll tell you why. Because there's no agenda here against Vince. The guy's a brilliant businessman. He's built up this great product. It's a billion-dollar industry. You know, good for him. But we've, we've got nothing to say about that. We're, we're, our focus is life on the road, what the wrestlers did back in the territory days. You know, fans don't know about this. So well, yeah, That's why I was asking the question because, you know, from my perspective, there's a ton of filler and fodder and – crap on 24-7 yeah, WWE well, Network and something like this, which is really about wrestling and, you know, uh, it's offering some insight and some, uh, you know, rational perspective on it. I would think well, it would be and, great and only on that, as opposed to uh, some of the bullshit that's, you know, about Pat Patterson yeah. and the boys going to Las Vegas right. and a bunch of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> crap. And, and ultimately... But ultimately, Vince is a fan, right? So unless there's something there that oh yeah, that's you know, right. I, you know, I, mirrors him. I mean, you know, I would think Vinny might be. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things WWE needs to do a lot more of is uh, you know, kind of uh, paying respect to the past to the business. You know, where there's uh, you know some kind of perspective about. Guys pre Hulk Hogan, you know Bruno or uh, Tutsmont or uh, you know Jess McMahon or there, there's a rich, you know, uh, colorful history to all that, you know, and uh, they got well, the whole I, damn I, network, I, you know. I, I'd love to see something like this on there, you know, uh, as opposed to another episode of Total Divas and a bunch of contrived. Excuse the expression, horseshit. That has, yeah. you know, uh, not much to do with uh, anything other than just kind of sensationalistic crap, you know. But oh, I agree. Well, you know, like I said, I've been looking at all this old footage, and uh, I've seen a whole bunch of um, some Don Leo, uh, Jonathan stuff, and I'm just, I mean, I, I didn't know who he was, and now I just can't get enough. You know, the, the well, guy I, was just I, so I, awesome. I, he was right there, if I'm not mistaken, when Jess McMahon passed, if I'm not mistaken. You know, most people don't remember that or recall that. But, uh, but yeah, he was, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure got a wealth of uh, stories. And those are some of the things I'd love to see in some of these. You know, I I fortunately was exposed to a lot of it through my dad and some of uh, Luthes and some of those guys. But... It was fascinating to hear of the stories of like Strangler Lewis and some of the stuff going on with right. Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt and uh, well, Frank Gotch. That's funny you mentioned that name because uh, Eric Froelich has one of his old jackets. 
Oh yeah, an original yeah. jacket that he used to wear in the ring, and uh, I've got you know, footage of that, and just you know, there's a piece of history right there. Right? I mean, oh, yeah. who, who I, remembers I Gotch? The guy who started my dad back in the, way back in the twenties was a guy named Jack Taylor, who uh, he was Frank Gotch's chief kind of uh, rival back around the turn of the century, even before. Uh, Freddie Beal and George Hackenschmidt and all like that. And um, my dad used to have all kinds of stories. He used to tell me about Jack Taylor and Farmer Burns, who was kind of the guy who launched both Gotch and Taylor. And I'd, I'd hear all these stories. And my dad had guys like Strangler Lewis up here, who was kind of mentoring Luthez back in the day. And uh, I remember Thez, when he was up here, he'd have all these stories about Ray Steele and uh, Strangler Lewis and Everett Marshall and, uh, you know, Bobby Manikoff and all these guys, you know. And, and uh, it was fascinating stuff, you know. I still remembered so much of it. and uh, But most fans don't even know those names, much less any of those stories, you know. And there was a myriad of all these stories, you know, and uh, Toots Mont, you know, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, I'd, I'd love to see some of that, you know, like if, if you have like the WWE 24-7 network, you know, uh, it would seem to me that it would be uh, almost obligatory for them to, uh, you know, spend some time, uh, you know, covering, you know, some of the... Uh, the pioneers and all that kind of stuff, you know, as opposed, you know, especially with Vince's, you know, father and his grandfather and Tutsmont and all those guys, you know, yeah. there's a rich history to it there that, you know, none of us have ever, you know, Evan and some of you guys would have heard those names and you're more than familiar with some of those legends, but most, most fans, uh, you know, as far, they, about as far back as they go as maybe Bruno, you know, you hardly ever even hear of who preceded Bruno in uh, in New York or any of that. And there was, you know, a myriad of legendary guys and all kinds of stuff back in the, way back in the, even the 20s, 30s and all like that, you know. And I, I think it would make for some, you know, fascinating uh, television. You know, I'd, I'd far rather watch that than... Uh, squash matches from uh, AWA and some of these old uh, black and white grainy <laughs> TV shows that is, uh, is, yeah, I'm uh, correct Bruce isn't Barbara isn't she the widow of uh, Bruiser Brody uh, what's that Barbara isn't she the widow of Bruiser Brody yeah Barbara Goodish yeah I think she's on our show next week is that right I believe so yes yeah I'm uh yeah, I'm uh, glad you mentioned her yeah, name. She but, is. Uh, yeah. yeah, she is. Yeah, I'm told she's coming on next week, so I'm I'm sure you guys probably uh, have some perspective on that. But well, I won't digress into that uh, right now. But uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see some of the uh, some of those uh, names that uh, we've been talking about. Kind of, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear more about them, you know, I've often wondered. You definitely about, will. I, you know, the, the, the focus still is the, the territory days, because I, I think a lot of people don't really know that either, right? So it, it, that was our, our main thrust 
and yeah. that will be the focus. But I don't think you can tell the story without all the others that that came before. It. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I regret not having uh, hooked up with you. I never got a chance to meet you or be introduced to you until this recently. But uh, but I know there was uh, an incredible amount of history of this, just as far as the territories and the road and life on the road and the, all all of that type of stuff that uh like Calgary was one of the uh more notorious territories if only because of the, the long road trips and the fact that we were sort of out here in the uh wild wild west and all like that. Yeah, but uh yeah. but there I I know there's a a ton of stories and I I hope you got some perspective from Brett. You know, but oh, uh, my God. He, he he couldn't have been more gracious. We were supposed to interview him for an hour, and I, I basically sat down with him from from nine till six with a, a short lunch break. I mean, yeah. he was just just a wealth of information yeah. and just such a wonderful guy. I just I can't say enough about yeah. him. Yeah, and yeah, not, not to denigrate him, I, I think I probably uh, maybe have ten times more stories. <laughs> wow, you know, I, I, I maybe I was a bit older than him and was kind of. You know, thankfully had a chance to uh, meet so many of those, you know, you hear these characters like the Ted Christie's and the uh, Sky High Lees and the Johnny Valentine's and the uh, Maurice Vachon's and Woody Strode's and some of those guys, you know. I I was, uh, you know, fortunately and uh, fortunate enough to hook up and hear hear so many of those stories and interact with so many of those old guys and um but yeah there was uh you know so many uh and i think uh i'm hopeful some of those other guys that you've been mentioning even like uh did you ever get any chance to hook up with say terry funk or some of those guys here no uh, no no well we actually we saw him at um where it was, but uh, no, I didn't get a chance to interview him. He would I mean, have been a great guy. And all, so many. Har- Harley would have been another one that would have had a. Yeah. Know, those, those are sort of two of. The, <laughs> they were characters too, you know. Beyond just sort of being around it, they were, you know, kind of uh, larger than life, outrageous, kind of colorful uh, characters that uh, gave the wrestling so much of that flavor, you know, so, but... Yeah, Harley, Harley was great. Harley was awesome. Great wrestler. Yeah. Probably one of the best wrestlers. I flew was fantastic. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yeah, and one of the real characters who Harley, you know, he's always, uh, <laughs> always uh, silly in Harley stories about his driving or whatever he was doing in the dressing room or, you know, his... And uh, a legit tough guy, right, Bruce? A legit tough yeah. guy that could tie knots in your spine. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I was almost saddened. You know, kind of, you know, whatever whatever perspective people have of him from his kind of, you know, was in the latter stages of his career with WWE he was, you know, not really even a fitting testimonial to what Harley. Really yeah, was the King Harley. Yeah, that, that that was I was kind of at the tail end of this tree the King Harley race with Bobby Heen gimmick. Yeah, I, I liked him way better when he was wrestling in the Carolinas at Ric Flair and. Oh yeah, he was a legitimate uh, cutting edge icon, you know, Harley, you know, back in the, you know, back in the 
seventies, sixties, in that area, you know. So, but, but yeah, those are those are uh, some fascinating. It sounds like you got a a great compendium of uh, guys. You mentioned one other name. I was going to ask you how's how he's doing these days. He's been through a lot of hell. This old uh, Lex Luger is is he? Uh, what, what's uh, been a long time since I had heard that name, but um, how is um, he doing? He's in, he's in really good spirits. He's in a really great place. Um, I, yeah. I, well, what do you think, uh, Darren? Uh, I, I found him be pretty good spirits. You know, you know, some people with this religious stuff aren't really legit with it, but he's definitely, definitely uh, has changed his life around. Uh, he's, he's for real with it. Uh, I found him to be a fantastic guy, very warm guy, and uh, where is he living? Gave us a real days? good interview. This is in Georgia, in Atlanta. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, he had a rough stretch there. You know, yeah. and uh, I uh, applaud him for rising above a rebounding from. All the adversity, and you know, uh, you know. I think some of those guys that have done that, you know, are probably uh, guys that maybe have a very inspiring message. You know, if there's some of them, you know, that have. You'd be surprised how many. Yeah, I mean, uh, meeting him was, you know, he was really, really, uh, like I say, a fantastic guy, very legit, very down to earth, and uh, he'd be the first to tell you I wasn't really a nice guy, you know. He's really he, uh, a piece of today. His health's fairly good now, or I hope he's in decent shape. Uh, so 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 so. I mean, uh, so so. He's a lot thinner than he was, you know. But uh, he still looks good. His face, he looks good. And what about yeah, old I, Billy, I, uh, Billy Graham? Is he? Uh, he's been through a lot of hell too with just his health. Oh yeah, he, he, he was yeah. great though when we interviewed him. He was fine. He was good. And uh, is it, it getting uh, getting around all right, or he's had hit, hit a lot of surgeries and stuff. I hear, but he seemed to get around all right. Yeah, he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a walker or anything. He walked, uh, you know, maybe with a little bit of a limp, but he seemed to be getting around all right. And he's. And he I'll tell you, the last time I saw him was with Scott Epstein. You know, and uh, it's, when you mentioned him, I thought of Scott right away because I remember when we were leaving the building, they were getting in the car together. As you know, Scott Epstein passed away last uh, Christmas Eve, I think it was, again, a tree. But well, what a great guy he was. Yeah. Well, those are, uh, those are, those are names that I ha- haven't heard for a long time. You, know, you just sort of hope they're in, uh, you know, good health and, uh, you know, doing reasonably well. And Bill Eady's doing, uh, doing well. Oh yeah, he's tremendous. Yep. Yeah, yeah, a great, uh, great guy. Uh, almost kind of uh, underrated. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, th- I thought you know one of the really great heels of the uh, of his era. You know, people uh, often don't even remember how great he was. You know, so yeah, I mean, he uh, he wrestled Hogan. Uh, Hogan's first title defense, I believe, was against the man superstar. He was great. He's a great worker. Really good. Yeah, good that, guy. That's why we're doing this, Bruce. Yeah, so people I'm, remember. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you know you guys deserve credit for 
for kind of uh, presenting it, you know, and giving people some perspective and giving fans an opportunity to kind of just catch up with with some of these guys. You know, I, I've been intrigued. Another name that you mentioned, he sort of had a, you know, tough go of the last 20 years is Paul Orndorff, you know. And, uh, he was great, too, yeah. He was, Paul yeah. was great. Is he uh, getting around? He, he, you know, uh, I was up here, I... He was up here in Calgary back in the '80s with WWE, and uh, he, uh, Chief J. Strongboy, asked me if I knew any uh, any doctors that he had, Paul had uh, taken a bad bump or some such thing, and uh, I took him to this uh, doctor that was uh, pretty did all the football players up here, and uh, he told Paul that he had kind of some serious nerve damage in his uh, left side or some such thing. And uh, that's pretty much the uh, end of the the line for him working. He was at that time at his very peak with uh, doing, he had just done the big angle with Hogan and all like that. And, yeah, that was huge. That was huge, yeah. And they, he they, they, 74,000 people at the CNE. They, they had yeah, and it was just after that, you know, and, uh, you know, he had this sort of paralysis on the left arm or some such thing, and he never really, uh, you know, was able to uh, recover from it. You know, it kind of, you know, was kind of uh, faded to black after that, his career, you know. But a uh, super nice guy, old Paulo. And, oh, yeah. Great uh, Very uh, humble, and uh, but I'm glad to hear he's... Uh, doing reasonably well then you know he uh you know seemed like yeah, one of the I mean, genuinely he, nice guys he had you know I mean, he, he beat cancer so far so good thank god you know and uh, he seems to be doing well i'm happy to hear that you know uh, another name that's sort of almost been forgotten but i can't remember if he's in the wwe hall of fame or not i don't recall he is yes he, oh, he, he is oh that's good i yeah. uh, would certainly uh yeah. nominate him if he wasn't you know not right. to digress, there's a few guys that I've been uh, lobbying for uh, quite a while to be uh, nominated for the WWE Hall of Fame that, for whatever reason, still haven't. And yeah. One of which was Dynamite and Davey and uh, and my brother Owen. I, uh, I, you know, I appreciate maybe there's a little bit of kind of... Uh, Reluctance, or you know, they're kind of a bit. I'm not sure what the dynamics are, but I think all three of those guys would be very uh, worthy uh, candidates. Oh, you know, if they if if they don't belong in there, I don't know who does. You know, so. Right. But, yeah. um, I agree with you 100. percent So yeah, I've proposed that to Vince, and still haven't really gotten any. Uh, you know, kind of indication whether that will ever come down or not. But, but yeah, that's not to digress. But I thought I'd mention yeah, that I just across my. Well, they mind. deserve it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. If they don't, I don't know who does. That's right. That's right. If they don't. Nobody does. That's right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I guess we're into the home stretch here of the. Uh, Give me about. Well, five anything? minutes left before we start doing plays. Yeah. 
Anything well, further you guys want to throw out there on the uh, like 350 days? I'd like to thank you for having us on. I'd like to thank Fulvio for all the work he's done. Uh, Evan Ginsberg, uh, Bobby Rydell, David Wilkins, the guy that believed in the project, and uh, Jesse Shannon from OneWrestling.com. And there's so many other guys. You could, I just really want to thank you for having us on and really uh, liking our, our project. And uh, Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm very uh, fascinated just hearing the names you mentioned and... Uh, I think that uh, it's going to be uh, very well received. You know, I I look forward to uh, seeing it, whether it's in the theaters or on TV or whatever. You know, and uh, uh, let us know uh, if you ever want to come on again. If there's anything we can do to promote well, we it or whatever, uh, absolutely, be, be more than happy to uh, do any subsequent. Uh, Broadcasts relative to it, you know. The, uh, and like Fulvio says, we're not out to make anybody look bad. We're not here to shit on the business. We just want to tell the real story, what it was like in the territory. Yeah, days, you know the whole. Yeah, exactly. Agency, and, uh, you know, what was it like? To, you know, to your credit, you know, and uh, it's a story that hasn't been told, and uh, I think the fans uh, are going to be happy when when they get a chance to take it in. Right. Well, well Bruce, thanks like very much for having me on. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate your uh, seeing fit to come on, and uh, I'd love to have you back. And uh, anything uh, in parting, Evan? Uh, yes, I'm sorry, Evan. Uh, Evan Ginsberg notified me he had to uh, go away for a meeting, so he didn't thank you for his time. But um, something last minute came up. Okay, that's great. Okay, so thanks a lot, guys. Well, thank thanks so much. I appreciate it. Talk yeah, soon, thank Bruce. you. Bye, Evan. Okay. Yeah, we'll right, take care of next time. And okay. I guess uh, we Bye-bye. can, uh, in winding up, Evan, uh, you know, kind of uh, let people know about next week's show a, a bit. We... Sure. Hello? I do apologize. Anybody listening, I uh, accidentally lost uh, Bruce Hart on. Hopefully, Bruce will call back. But uh, just to let everybody know, we do have a lot of great shows coming up. I'm going to give you a quick rundown real quick. Of course, everybody know I am uh, the guest host. I'm currently host of Under the Mat Radio. Uh, we're not a new show, but we are new to the PWP um, network. We're going to wait for Bruce to call back in any moment. While we wait for Bruce to call back in, we're going to give you a lineup of the great shows we have coming up. Uh, next Sunday, October 5th, we will have The Widow of the late, great Bruiser Brody, Barbara Goodish will call in. Uh, we also will have Diane Vaughn Hoffman. Uh, Sunday, October 12th, big show. Please do not miss this one. We have the legendary Terry Funk will be calling in, and we'll be here on Heartbeat Radio with Bruce Hart. Um, and it will be Terry Funk's birthday, so we do ask that only if you tweet or send any messages during the live broadcast of this show, we will be able to read them, um, read them on the show. But if you send any tweets after the show, we won't be able, of course, to read them out loud. Um, also, October the 19th, at the Adventary Funk, we will have another great legend all over the world, Baron Von Roski. We will have Bushra Vishon and Merv Unger uh, will be joining us also. A lot of great shows coming up. For Heartbeat Radio, I do apologize. Um, technical difficulty accidentally 
uh, end up cutting Bruce Hart. Hopefully he hears me. Hopefully he calls back. We have five minutes left. I want to give a big shout-out to Bob Johnson. And also, uh, just to let people know that my show, Under the Mat Radio, airs on Tuesday nights live every show, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. here on Pro Wrestling Powerhouse. And just to let you know of the shows that we have coming up that are this coming Tuesday, uh, October 30th, we have uh, on a uh, Third Eye Comics, Steve Anderson will be calling in. We have Dan Acousta, who is a professional actor and musician, who currently is on the Weather Channel for his show, um, Fat Guys in the Woods. Uh, coming up down the line, too, this month, we have special guests. Um, I do apologize. Uh, we have special guests coming up. Um, uh, Rosie uh, of the Hurricane from WWE, uh, Hurricane and Rosie, Matthew Noe will be calling in. Um, we also have uh, the legendary Pat Tanaka will be uh, on our show. We have a uh, um, great ring announcer, um, Jim Cooley, will be on our show coming up. Ivan Koloff will be calling in uh, Kenny Omega, uh, great talent internationally. And we have a lot of other great guests that will be on our show coming in. I'm trying to wait for Bruce to call in. Hopefully, Bruce, if you hear me, do call back. I uh, do apologize for that. But... Under the Mat Radio, check us out. We do have a Facebook page and Instagram page. Just type in Under the Mats Radio. Please continue to support this great show, Hobby Radio with Bruce Hart. I want to thank Bruce Hart, of course, for the opportunity to um, be a guest, uh, be a guest co-host for shows at times I'm available. I want to thank Bob Johnson, thank Jay Aletto, uh, the great owner of uh, Pro Wrestling Powerhouse. And for the month of October, just want to let you know, I won't be co-hosting at all for October. You'll have another great co-host, Johnny Mantel, will be co-hosting for the whole month of October. But yours truly, Evan, or my show name is Tech, will be back at sometime in November, and I'll be guest co-hosting for Bruce Hart. And I uh, do apologize. While we're waiting for Bruce, um, we're going to bring in away some time, bring in live uh, Bob Johnson. Are you there? Yeah, hi, Evan. How are you doing, man? Uh, great hey. show tonight. Uh, thank yeah, I just want to thank uh, you and uh, I just want yeah, I want to thank you and uh, Jay and the boys down at uh, Pro Wrestling Powerhouse uh, for having this uh, great Sunday night. I that was one of the more enjoyable shows. I every week they have really good shows, and uh, <clears throat> next week we have, of course, Barbara Goodish and Diane von Hoffman, and I'm even I'm going to try to get Stan Hansen on that show. As well, and uh, the following week will be the, probably the biggest show in the history of podcast wrestling. Uh, two hours of the legendary Terry Funk live, so that'll be a, a wonderful show. So again, uh, thank you very much for having Bruce on tonight. I'm, I guess uh, technology uh, prevails. I'm you, you got to hear me last anyway, but uh, thank you very much for having us on tonight and. Uh, Thanks for being another great co-host tonight, and I'm uh, yeah. sure looking forward to listening to another Under the Mat. You, that's a good show you got there, uh, Under the Mat on Pro Wrestling Powerhouse Radio. Yes, I do think. Uh, give a big, uh, big ups to my co-host who's um, currently uh, not here. Uh, the NFC Game Boy George Burkett. Want to give big ups to him. Of course, he's a big help. Like I said, do uh, Bob, if you could, um, I'll try to get a hold of Bruce Hart after um, we go off the air. Or maybe you could do apologize for him for me accidentally end up cutting him off. 
I got his phone number mixed up with uh, Flavio's. <laughs> so, but we have okay. about about 60 seconds left um, for calling in. Give me the opportunity, fans and listeners. Please continue to support Pro Wrestling Powerhouse. Uh, you can find everything. Go on to www.prowrestlingpowerhouse.com. Look us up, of course, on Facebook. Look us up on Twitter. Look up Under the Match Radio on Facebook. Look us up on Twitter at tech underscore UTMR. Email us at underthematchradio at gmail.com. Please contact Bob Johnson. I'm not sure if you have anything you want to uh, give up for us contacts. Sure, uh, Evan. Uh, just uh, all the great fans listening to uh, Heartbeat Radio this evening. If any of our fans uh, want us to specifically talk about uh, an area or a wrestler or something, uh, give us a uh, call at uh, to Pro Wrestling Powerhouse. Leave a message with uh, the with Jay Alito and uh, or yourself and uh, or Heartbeat Radio. You can go on to HeartBrotherUniversity.com and our link is on there. And uh, we'll try to bring on uh, some really good shows. We've got a lot of big name guests coming on in the next few weeks, so uh, uh, that's the whole idea, old school and. Uh, and uh, again, we were so fortunate having a guy like Evan uh, on the show tonight, and uh, yeah. you're a great host. So uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you in November. Thank you. I do thank you very much, fans. Listen to Hubby Radio. Thank you. This is Tech, host under the Matt Radio, signing off for Wrestling Powerhouse and Hubby Radio. Speaking for the great Bruce Hart, who's not um, on the air right now, and for Bob Johnson. I will talk to you guys in November, and Hubby Radio will be back next week. Talk to you later. See ya. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.